0: Welcome to the Victory Family Worship Center podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at the at gmail.com. So we're in a series called Spiritual Warfare. and, and, and so um, this is a kind of a hinge point message. If you get this message, you're going to understand everything else I talk about from this day forward. So pay, try to pay close attention, try to lock in. Um, because I've got a lot of teaching and I, I, it, it kind of all leads to one thing to another. And and so um, I, I'm going to talk to you about how to win the battle in certain areas of your life. That's what this whole series is is about, particularly spiritual areas. And, and so today what we're going to focus on is the mind. We're going to focus on your mind because how many of you know the biggest battle is between your ears? <laughs> if you're new to Christ, if you don't understand uh, you know what? What we're talking about—the primary war that you fight on this earth is between your ears. It's the things that go on in your mind. It's the thoughts that you have, it, it, and that's where our biggest battle is. Um, Proverbs twenty-three, seven says, "For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he." So, you know, your words—in—in in other words, you are a byproduct of your thinking. Everything you think about, you're a byproduct of that. Obviously, if you're living in the world and you're, you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, um, you, know, you have a spiritual enemy when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. A- and we call him Satan. We talked about this last week. Um, there are demonic spirits. There's principalities. There are powers in wickedness and dark places. And, but the number one area that Satan attacks is your mind. He attacks us in our minds. Um, you know, he'll, he'll bring affliction and sicknesses and disease and all that stuff too. But the number one area is your mind. Once Satan gets into your mind, what happens if you're not careful, if we don't take authority over those lies and that deception, what, when Satan gets into your mind, what happens is Satan will build a stronghold in your mind. Everybody say stronghold. So stronghold is a word that you don't hear on a daily basis regularly, but a stronghold is a word that the Bible uses to describe something that happens in your mind. This happens in your mind. For example, think about what dominates your thoughts the most when you're laying in bed or you have idle time or you're just sitting there killing time and there's, you know it's real quiet. What dominates your thoughts? What dominates your thinking? You know, when you're sitting there thinking and you just have these periods of thinking, what dominates your thinking? What dominates your thinking? Is it something good or is it something bad? Is it something that encourages you and causes you to be a positive person? Or is your thoughts something that kind of challenges you and changes you and oppresses you? And and it, and it, it even leads you to your addiction and it fuels your addictions. What dominates your thoughts? Because dominating your thoughts and creating stronghold is the number one tactic of Satan that he uses to get into your mind. And to conform you to the patterns of the world. What are the patterns of the world? The patterns of the world are fear, anxiety, oppression, depression, Etc. Etc. Those are the patterns of the world, and Satan wants to get you to think like he thinks instead of getting you to think like God thinks. Romans chapter twelve two says, "Do not be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to that way of thinking. Don't be conformed to those patterns. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind." So when you come to Christ, your spirit is born again and your mind but listen to me when you're born again your mind has to go through the process your mind is not transformed on that same day your mind still has garbage in it you're saved your salvation's instantaneously but your mind still has a lot of garbage in it you know what I'm talking about? Your mind still has old memories of your past life. Your old memories of your, your, that stinking thinking that was in your life before you got saved. You have, you, there you've, there's life experiences that happen to you. Um, there's traumatic experiences. And there's the reality of life. And these experiences shape the way you think. And, and the way we think many times pollutes our understanding of the word of God. So when we first get saved, we filter. what happens is we filter the Word of God through our mind, our polluted mind, which keeps the Word of God from being effective in our life. Because we're putting the Word of God through the wrong filters. And at some point in your walk with Jesus Christ, you have got to learn that the way you do spiritual battle first is you've got to break the strongholds that are in your mind. If you want to walk victoriously, if you want want your prayers to be effective, if you want things, you gotta break the strongholds in your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3, Paul says this for we for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for the pulling down of what? Strongholds. So we have to pull down those strongholds. Strongholds, where are the strongholds located? Remember, strongholds are located in your mind. Then he says they're, they're, the weapons are not carnal but mighty for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity and obedience to Christ. Uh, so, this is, you know, our goal in Christ is to renew our minds. Not talking about salvation, we've already been through that. But now we have to go through this renewing of our minds. And, and, and so we have to transform the way we think. We have to, our, our thinking has to start, we have to tear it on those strongholds so that our thinking can align with the way Christ thinks versus the way that we've been trained by the world. And it's a process. Because listen, we've been trained to think and the way you've been trained to think creates our life. The byproducts of your life, the fruit of your life, the lack of fruit in your life, the anguishes in your life, the turmoil in your life, the trouble in your life, the happiness, the joy in your life, the addictions in your life. All of these things are tied to the way you think. So if you want to change your life, you have to change the way you think. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. That's why the Bible says you have to renew your mind. Change the way that your mind, you have to change your mind with the word of God. So the Word of God, like we talked about last week, is the first part of arming yourself. Gird your loins with the truth. A lot of you are here for that message. The truth is the Word of God. And once you put the truth into place, the truth begins to expose the lies and begins to expose the strongholds. The truth exposes all this. A stronghold is nothing more than a lie. That's all it is. It is a lie that you've believed for a very long time. Some of you have believed lies for 30 years, 40 years. You believe these lies, they've become strongholds and they become part of our way of life, the way we do things. And it's a wall, a stronghold is a wall around that lie, protecting and sealing that lie so the truth of God cannot get in there. We won't let God have access to that lie. So for example, let's just say you're in there... And listen, I'm not casting stones. This is just very common in churches. Okay, this is very common in our society. But let's say you're in here today, and you're 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 with your girlfriend, or you're with your boyfriend, and you're having sex outside the marriage. Okay, maybe even living together. I don't know. Um, you go to church and you want to worship God, but you're living in sin. But in your mind, you think everything's okay. You think this is the way everybody else does it. This is the way everybody did it in my family. It's the lie that you believe because society has told you that this is okay. And I told you last week and and the weeks before that society doesn't always tell the truth. How many of you know that? (laughs) It may be a truth, but it's not the truth. And the Bible says when you know the truth, which is the word of God, the truth will set you free. And so, what lie am I possibly believing? What lies? Maybe it's pornography. The lie lie is that I need pornography to satisfy my sexual life. That is a lie that gets sealed into our mind, and and it gets sealed by a stronghold, and uh, we become addicted to pornography, and it seals God out. Because it's a stronghold. It's called a stronghold. Maybe you're believing a lie about yourself. Maybe all your life through your growing up, you've been told that you're no good. You've been told you're worthless. You've been told you'll never amount to anything. And you've believed that lie for so long that a stronghold has developed and protected that lie. And now you just believe that about yourself. And so we go through life constantly thinking, depressive thoughts about our life it's a stronghold it's a lie and that is not how God thinks about you that is not the way the word of God teaches you to think it it, it is conforming to the patterns of the world it's a stronghold the reason a person gets oppressed gets depressed uh, you know anxiety fear is they believe a lie and once they believe a lie, all the enemy has to do is to get you to keep believing that lie. That's all he has to do. And if he can get you to keep believing that lie about yourself, once Satan gets you to believe that lie for a while, a stronghold is built up. And, as, and, and so it, that lie begins affecting your life as if it's true. Because it's a stronghold and it's covering the lie and it's keeping the word of God out. And the stronghold becomes this thing. And so what happens is once that stronghold is built, Satan has you backed in a corner where he wants you. And then you're oppressed and depressed and living in fear and living anxiety for the rest of your life. Because that stronghold has that lie bound up. That's why you have to break free from it and you have to take authority over those lies. And it's, that's your spiritual battle. That's your spiritual war. And by teaching these principles, listen, I I believe you can live stronger and you can break free from these strongholds. If I could break them for you, I would. But you have to do it. And when you break free from these strongholds, you can live with a clear conscience. You can live with a righteous conscience. And you can live free from the enemy controlling your thoughts and controlling the way you live and the controlling the way you act. Paul gives us, how to, gives us the indications on how to do this in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, i got to give you some backstory. I'm going to give you a lot of backstory on Paul's life because Paul is the living example of how we do this. Paul is considered at this stage in life uh, that I'm, in Ephesians chapter 6, he is an apostle for Jesus Christ. But in his previous life, he was considered in our culture. We would consider him a Jewish terrorist because he killed Jew, he, he, he killed Jews, he killed Christians. He was he was you know before Christ, Paul would incite crowds to kill and murder Christians. Paul was a religious zealot. He believed in the Old Testament perspective that anybody who was trying to convert a Jewish to, or, or Jewish person to Christ was doing a disservice to God, and, and that they must be taken out. And so Paul would go from town to town searching for Christians, anybody who called himself a Christian, anybody who had a bumper sticker on their car that said, I'm a Christian, anybody who had a t-shirt that said, I'm a Christian, he would have them killed. Later, when he was doing this, his name was Saul. hope you all understand that. Later, he he has this experience with God. He gets knocked off his high horse. He gets blinded for three days. All these things happen. His name is changed to Paul. but Before Christ, his name was Saul. So now, Paul has this experience, and he gets born again, like many of you. Many of you have had a born-again experience. Now, Paul has to become, he gets born again, and now he's become the very person that he's trying to kill. Y'all understand that? He becomes that person that he despises. Can you imagine Paul having a born-again experience? And now he has to go through this transformation of his mind from being a murderer to being called to preach. So we're going to journey through Paul's mind here. How do you go from murdering people who call themselves Christians, to now feeling like you have this forgiveness of God and God has cleansed me and God has actually anointed me to preach the gospel. How do you get there? How do you live in that kind of freedom? It's a process. Paul goes through this process and I'm going to take you through this process and and, and help you to understand what's going on. Now, Paul is in Rome, Ephesians chapter 6. He's in prison. And he's writing this letter to this church, Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. He's writing this letter. It's one of the five letters that he wrote, one of the five books that he wrote while he was in Rome. And while he's doing this, he's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Why was he chained to a Roman soldier? Because before when he was in prison, he's been in prison several times. Supernaturally, the gate, the prison doors would open. He would walk out. So They just finally said, you know what, chain him to a guard. And so he's chained to a guard and he's writing this letter. And you have to understand and get into his mindset. And you have to understand the intensity of what he wrote this letter. He's about to be put to death. He knows it. Shortly after he writes this letter in Ephesians chapter 6, he is beheaded. And during this time, while he's in prison and all this, and th- there's an emperor... Um, he was going to be beheaded by, because he became a Christian. And during this time, the emperor that's in charge of Rome, his name was Nero. If there's any history buffs out there, you go study Nero. Nero was married. He was a married man but very, led a very lewd lifestyle. He was Nero, go do the research. He was a homosexual. He was a pedophile. He was very sexual immoral. I mean, that that extreme sexual immorality ran rampant in the time in the leadership in Rome during this time, during Nero's reign. And he was it was very immoral. It was a corrupt people. Nero was insane. In his whole methodology, because he was afraid that the, he was afraid that the Christians would rise up and take over his kingdom, so he was insane. Um, he would he would gather up Christians, he would enslave them, he would put them in these big arenas, and he would uh, 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 just so they couldn't get out, and he would turn lions and tigers loose to go maul them. I know I'm being kind of graphic today, but that's what he did. That's nearer. You have to understand Paul's mindset. Not only that Nero would gather the Christians that he wouldn't put in the auditoriums he would take the other Christians and he would hang them on a cross crucified like a cross and he would put tar and pitch on them and then at night he would light the Christians up and he would put set them on fire so that they could light the uh, so that the Roman soldiers could have a lighted pathway to walk on and burning Christians lighted up thousands of them This is the atmosphere from which Paul is writing this letter this is the intensity. You've got to understand that to be a Christian in this time, when Paul's writing this letter, uh, it's intense. It's not this Christianity where we wake up and say, oh, let me see, is the weather going? Should we get out of, you know, it's kind of cold today. I don't know if we can, let's stay and let's not go to church today. Y'all all right out there? It's not, well, should I go to the ball game? Should I go to church? You know, th- th- that's not the type of Christianity that Paul's w- living in. When you're a Christian during that time, you better have some strong faith. You better have have some authority because you're going to die a martyr's death. And Paul is writing that letter from this intensity. Knowing that he's going to be killed and everyone under him probably that he's writing this letter is going to be killed. And that's why he's trying to explain in Roman 16, Ephesians 6, he's trying to explain to the church and to the Christians, you better know this stuff. You better know this. You better know everything about spiritual warfare. You better know that the battle's in your mind. You better know how to do this. You better know how to conquer the enemy. Can you imagine writing this letter from a Roman? I would have I probably just threw my a pen and paper and said, oh, just kill me, you know. So many Christians say that today. I'll just rapture me out of here. No, God puts you on this earth for a moment, for such a time as this, because he's got a purpose to accomplish through you, and we have to know the tactics, we have to know how to do this. Paul's trying to build a stronger person in the church from a prison cell. And he's trying to teach them these concepts so that they can walk in authority over the enemy. So that they can conquer their minds. So that they can conquer the lies of the devil and the deception of the devil. And it's no different than what I'm trying to do today. Trying to build a stronger you. Trying to build a stronger church. So that you can handle the persecution that the church is going to face in the coming days. In months and years. Because persecution's coming. It's coming, church. We think persecution is we don't have a heater or an air conditioner in the service that morning. But that's not what I'm talking about. Persecution's coming. It's coming to the church. The enemy is coming after the church. Meanwhile, we whine and complain because we don't have the new iPhone and oh, the weather's going bad and, oh, pastor didn't say hi to me. I, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's persecution to us. I mean, come on, church, can we just admit it? Can we all just nod our heads and admit it? We're a very weak church in America. Can we just admit it? We don't even understand right now. You, some of you can't even comprehend what I'm talking about, about burning on a cross. That is, that's, it's even to me, I can't comprehend that. I don't even know what I'd do if I saw it. I might run for the hills. So here's Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 saying, Finally, my brother, finally. You know why he said finally? This is the very last words he's speaking. He knew he was going to die. Finally, brother, be strong in the Lord. Think about somebody that's fixing to die. These are his last words. Finally, brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The first lie, I told you about this last week, the first lie that the devil wants the church to believe, the first lie that the devil wants you to believe is that there is no devil. He wants you to believe that. The statistics tell us. Forty percent of the American church believes that there's no, uh, Christians, not the world, they believe that there is no devil. They believes there's no such thing as the devil. When the Bible is filled with stories about the devil, from front to back, Jesus himself encountered the devil in the wilderness. You need to understand the devil is real. So he roams around looking to who he can steal, kill, and destroy and devour. That's your enemy. So people, and and like we said last week, people are not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. Be strong, Paul says, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The wiles of the devil. The schemes, the plans, the strategies. We studied that word last week. Wiles, it means strategies. It's the plans that the devil has that he's written down to get into your life. that's it, it, They have schemes, they have plans, they have assignments to get into your life. And we're the ones that opens the door to Satan to get into our life. How do we open the doors? Through our mind. The things that we see, the things that we hear. The lies that we believe. So where have you given Satan an open door to your life? Think about the things that you meditate on. Think about the things you, you, think about your thinking process. That'll give you some indication about how the enemy's getting into your life. You know, we we go home and we're stressed and tired and it's been a long day and, and we go lay down and our mind drifts. Into I you know I need this you know I need this so I'll just feel better and if I do this it'll just make things better the stress will go away and our mind just drifts into these places and you guys know what I'm talking about and and we just let our mind go and the enemy gets into our mind like that for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities. I talked to you about this last week. There's four levels of spiritual warfare. Go listen to that message. I strongly urge you to listen to that. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and and spiritual hosts of wickedness. There's four levels of, of demonic activity on this earth. I strongly urge you to listen to that message. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. How many of you have ever had an evil day? How many of you thinking you got an evil day tomorrow? <laughs> Monday. <laughs> there are good days, there are evil days. There's bad days. There's days when you get attacks. There's days when things happen that you're not expecting and there's a war in your mind. Now all of a sudden something happens. Somebody says something. Uh, An issue comes up. A circumstance happens and and now all of a sudden you're warring in your mind and you're thinking about those people. You're thinking about those situations and you're thinking about how you want to inflict harm on that person. How you're going to go in and give what for in that situation and you're just going to go take authority and you're just going to do all these things. We don't rest against that flesh and blood. It's that the battle's in the mind. And Paul says, when you've done all that you know to do, you've got to be able to stand firm. In other words, don't give up. When those attacks, those evil days come in, when, when there's temptations coming, you got to be able to stand. Don't give up. So many people want to retreat. Run away from the church. Run away from the family. Go crawl in a bed and crawl in a fetal position and just... Hope life goes away. But Paul says you've got to be able to stand. The first thing you do, he said, put is to put on the word of put the word of God inside of you to strengthen you for your day. If you start your day without the word of God, on any given day, the enemy's gonna come at you with lies and deception, and he's gonna attack your mind. And in your mind, that's where the battle, if you don't have the word of God in you, if you don't have the loin belt of truth, you will lose the battle eventually. The battle will be lost. It'll be tough. I know we got some tough guys in here, and you're strong and tough, but that's not where the battle is. I know you could go kick some rears, and you could do some things and bring some justice. That's not where the battle is. The battle's not against flesh and blood. The battle's in your mind. The level to which you're living at a victory in your spiritual life is tied closely to how much you gird your waist with the truth of God's word. I'll say this, you, you think about how much God's word is in your life and I'll tell you why or why not you're living in victory. So gird your, gird your loins with truth and then this is where we're going at, the next phase. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplates of righteousness. The breastplate was a very important piece of armor to the, arm, to the soldier. It, they were very proud of their breastplates. Um, it was made of gold and brass. It was very shiny. It was very ornate. It weighed 70 to 100 pounds. And, and the, the Roman soldier, he would put this on, knowing that he's going to the battle, knowing that the enemy was going to attack his organs, his, his vitals. And so this was put in place to protect him from that, those attacks, that breastplate of righteousness. And the Roman soldiers, they were very proud. They would stand shoulder to soldier when they were going into war, and the sun would hit those breastplates, and it would just put a blinding glare over the other enemies. It would, the sun would reflect, and it would blind them. It was very intimidating. It was very intimidating to see them. And Paul's looking at this Roman soldier. He's t- cuffed to this Roman soldier, and he's telling us, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul was trying to get this picture across to the church that this breastplate of righteousness is very important. It's the starting point to breaking strongholds in your mind. Not that you think the helmet of salvation to protect your mind. That's, That's another message. The breastplate is so important. The righteousness is so important. Let me talk about righteousness real quick. Let me try to give you, there's two definitions of righteousness. There's an Old Testament point of view of righteousness, and then there's the New Testament point of view. And and so we need to understand the two, and how the devil uses the two, and how the devil manipulates this. So in the Old Testament, when we talk about righteousness, God was talking about right living, that's what righteousness means. Right living, right living before God. And so when you told the Old Testament people that they had to live righteousness, they had to live right. They had to obey these rules and they had to obey these laws. And God said in the book of Psalms, uh, you know, his, his throne, the throne of God is built on righteous and ju- righteousness and justice. Righteousness is right living, justice is doing right. So doing right by others and living right, if you live right and you do right, that is the foundation of the throne of God. Think about it in the context of our culture today, especially the election of what's going on. We have two parties in the country divided by these two subjects because we've divided the throne of God. You have one party that emphasizes social justice and justice. All they want is justice. They've grown up with a lot of, a lot of these people have grown up with injustices. If you look at the millennial generation, they've grown up with a lot of injustices. They've seen a lot of injustices. And your life has a tendency to lean towards social injustices. We want social justice. We want social justice. There is a religion of social justice. And then you have another party, and and they, they lean towards righteousness, You know they're against abortion. They're against same-sex marriage. They're against uh, all of these these things because they want right living. Everybody needs right living. We want righteousness. And so, if you've grown up being taught those things, and you lean towards righteousness. And unfortunately, politics has come in with and, and, and politics has has linked up with the enemy, Satan, and has these two parties have come against each other and, and they instead of working they come against each other instead of working in concert with each other. And the devil takes these two pillars, righteous and justice, and he pits them together politically to divide a nation. You show me a nation that has has a balance between righteous and justice, and I'll show you a strong nation. That's where America used to be. (laughs) Because we took righteous and justice, and there was a balance. And we come together, and we compromised, and we crossed lines, and we had a strong nation. A nation divided against itself cannot stand. So that's the enemy's tactic for the nation, just in case you're wondering what's going on in our nation. God is, God is not a Democratic or a Republican. God is not a politician. God doesn't think, say things that you want to hear, that'll agree with your personal philosophies of life and your personal experiences that you go. God's not going to say things to appease you. When God says something in the truth of God's word, everything, every commandment, everything in here, is he, God is bringing righteousness and justice together. And so what happens is a lot of there's a lot of justice people they want justice without righteousness. I want to love God and I want forgiveness of God, but I don't want to live holy before God. There's a lot of people in the churches that want that. People want justice without right living. I don't I want I want to love God and I want to worship God, but I want to think about the fact that un- abortion is unholy and it's murder, same-sex marriage is unholy, we don't want to think about that, we just want to worship God and I want to love God, we want justice, but we don't want righteousness, I don't want to think about those people, you know, those things that are unholy, that just makes me uncomfortable pastor, even though it's in the word of God and it points it out that it's unholy, we want justice without righteousness, then there's people who want righteousness without justice, and they want to make sure everybody's living right, I don't really care happens. I don't care what happens to the people that want in, that are in, that experience injustices. They can get a job. They can get an education. They they can quit whining about their problems. We just want righteous. We want to make sure you live right. Adhere to these rules. You know, and I don't want to pay my taxes to support them because uh, you know that. And so what that does is it sends a message that we don't care. The church has sent a message: we don't care. We just care about righteousness. And basically you've got this warring. Do you see the big war? Do you see the big picture? You've got these warring between people. And God is saying in the book of Ephesians, the battle is not with flesh and blood. Political, battling political parties, that's flesh and blood. Political cultural wars, battling cultural wars, that's flesh and blood. You need to remind yourself if you get clustered in the godliness society, you got to remind yourself where the real battle is. The battle is spiritual, and, and, and we don't win our battles naturally, we win our battles spiritually in the mind. Okay? If you, if you find yourself looking at the news and you getting yourself in all indignant, and this rage is rising up in you of what's going on and the injustice that's going on, turn your TV off. the battle's in your mind, turn your social media off, the battle's in your mind. So Paul says put on the breastplate of righteousness meaning in the Old Testament live right. But in the New Testament righteousness is being forgiven of your sins and made right through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the good stuff. See in the New Testament in the Old Testament you're not in the New Testament you're not made righteousness because you did right. You're made righteousness because you're made righteous because of what Jesus did because in the Old Testament they were told to do right but they couldn't do right they couldn't get it done every time they sinned every time they sinned they had to go get a goat or a sheep or bull or something and they had to go take that thing to the priest and they had to sacrifice it and there had to be blood there had to be a shedding of blood this is Old Testament there had to be a shedding of blood because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness or remission of sins and every time they sinned they had to do that because it, listen if, if we lived back in the Old Testament days we would all have very large farms <laughs> right? right? We'd have a lot of goats and a lot of things, you know, you know, tell Joey to go out and get another lamb. We had a rough weekend. <laughs> That's how they lived. And then once a year, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, which was a tabernacle, a tent, and he would go into there one, and they, they, they would tie a, a rope around him and around his ankle because if he went in there and he wasn't holy, he would die in the presence of God. And they'd drag him out by the rope and they'd call the next priest up. But every year, the, the, a priest had to go into the holy of holies to this tent, and he had to take a sacrificial lamb, and he had to take this blood, and he had to present it, but to God, and make atonement for the people. It, it's on your calendar. It's called Yom Kippur. If you look on your calendar, you're wondering, what's Yom Kippur? That's what it is. It's a Jewish holiday. Then Jesus comes onto the scene, and because Jesus, how many of you know, he's the sacrificial lamb. He becomes the sacrificial lamb, and he takes play. He takes the place of all those bulls and goats and lambs. When Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus shed his blood on the cross and once and for all and all for eternity, now your sins are forgiven forever. You don't have to take an animal to the the priest no more. You don't have to do any of that because you're made righteousness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus spilled his blood, he poured his blood out, and he took his blood and he went into the real holy of holies and he took his blood and his sacrificial death and he presented himself to the Father on behalf of every one of us. And he went to the throne room of God and he became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus said, when you receive what I did on the cross, you will be forgiven of your sins. I'm taking you through a process that Paul went through. Okay? So hang with me because I'm I'm, I'm painting a big picture for you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you got it, let's look at it. Talking about Jesus, he died for all. That those who live should no longer... live. He, he let me back up, he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we know Christ according to the flesh, yet now yet we know him thus no longer. Now this is the important part right here. you need to focus on this. therefore, if anyone is in Christ, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. It says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a qualification to this. Okay, there is a qualification. Uh, um, it's available to everybody, but it's a qualification. Uh, uh, the, the, the people who believe in Christ, who come in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, who, who live a surrendered life to Jesus Christ, anyone who is in Christ, he is what? The Bible says he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, Beyond all, behold, all things have become new. This is important, because we're living in a time right now where we want to dig up everybody's past, right? Supreme courts, and we just want to, I mean, if you even, uh, we just want to go into everybody's head. We want to dig up dirt. We want to know the dirt on people. And we're living in a time where, uh, uh, you know, the Supreme courts, we just want to dig up stuff, and, and and i it's like I told the church this morning, and I, I get emotional about this, and I'm sorry if I do it again, but maybe I won't. But I know this about myself. I know that when I was a teenager in college, a teenager in high school and in college, that period right there, I know that if you saw what I did when I was a teenager, in high school and college, I would not qualify to be your pastor as this church. If you based my ability to pastor this church what I did in high school and college, I wouldn't qualify. You would not be able to look at me the same way. Are you following me? I lived a life of debauchery and loose living. And listen, many of you have lived lives of debauchery and loose living. And my point is this. The question becomes... Pastor, is it possible for a person to be forgiven of their sins and have a new life and start over again? Obviously, if you're living, in the, if you're living for the world, it's not possible because, because you, you don't know Jesus Christ. And if you're living in the world and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to hold on to the sins or you're going to hold on to the sins that people committed against you, and you're going to live in sin and you're going to have a sin-conscious mind. That's why we need Jesus. We need Jesus so that he could change us. And like myself and like Paul, I've been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've went through a transformation. I've went through a process. People don't even know me from high school anymore. People look at my life. I get comments on, on social media all the time. That Dude, you're not the same dude we used to know. I was like, no, I've been born again. <laughs> and many of you, if some of you that are 50 and 60 in here or 45 or like my age, like 40. <laughs> Listen, it, 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 you, are, let me ask you this. Are you the same person that you were when you were 17, 18, and 19? I hope not. I hope not. I, you don't think the same way. You've went through some changes. And, and you don't think the same way. You don't live the same way. You don't act the same way. Because there's a process. God will forgive you and give you an opportunity to change your life after some really big mistakes in your life after some really bad mess-ups in your life, after some really bad seasons in your life, Jesus gives you that opportunity to stand before Him in righteousness. Amen? This is the beauty of Jesus Christ. And it's also a hard thing to comprehend because when you're trying to filter your life through the people of the world and your friends that are living in the world and families, the other families and things that are going on in the world, you can't understand Jesus. But when you filter Jesus through the Word of God, it completely changes the way you think because the Bible says all things have passed away. People in the world can't understand that. That means once you come to Jesus Christ, every sin that you've ever committed, every bad thing, everything, it's been forgiven. It's been forgiven. It's been it, every sin has been put under the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been justified in the courtrooms of heaven, just as if it never happened. You've it's been put under. The Bible says, "As far as the east is of the west, He casts your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, and He remembers them no more." When you come into a covenant with Jesus Christ, I'm still taking you through this process. As we're not there yet, tearing down strongholds. So God is not holding you accountable for those sins anymore when you come into a covenant relationship. And he goes on to explain, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us to the ministry of reconciliation. This is what I'm talking about, this ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them, In other words, he's not keeping a record of your trespasses and your wrongs and imputing those to you and condemning you for them. And has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might come to righteousness in God. I know that's a mouthful. So, righteousness now becomes not just right living, but now it's the ability. Righteousness now becomes, when you come into a covenant with Jesus Christ, now righteousness is not just right living. Now it's the ability to live in the presence of God and walk in the presence of God without a sense of condemnation and without a sense of insecurity and without a sense of rejection. You can walk in the presence of God with a sense of confidence, knowing who you are in Christ. It's a new confidence. Now you're right with God in spite of your past. Paul is right with God in spite of his past. I'm right with God in spite of my past. I have a clear conscience and a clear mind and a pure heart. And, and, and Does it mean I'm perfect? No, I still fail. I still fail all the time. In spite of your past, when you receive Christ, even if you were the worst criminal on earth and you did the most despicable things on earth, uh, when you're, and you're, even if you're paying the price and you're incarcerated and you're paying the price on earth for your mistakes, in God's eyes, when you come into a covenant relationship, God sees you as if you never sinned. Y'all get that? It's hard for our natural minds to comprehend, but Paul is trying to make this point to us. He's trying to tell you, you can't do anything about your sins. That's why God who was sinless and righteousness and perfect in all ways brought Jesus to this earth and Jesus was the only one qualified to take your sins upon his body and die on the cross and be raised from the dead and he traded your sins for righteousness. So you can start living with a right consciousness instead of a sin conscious. See, when you're living with sin conscience, you block the grace of God. You're so focused on your sins. You're so focused on the shame. You block God's grace from coming into your life because you don't feel like you deserve God's grace. We don't need the devil to condemn us. We do a good job condemning ourselves. (laughs) Because the devil's got you right where he wants you. He's got you backed in a corner, believing the lies, and he's got a stronghold over those lies. There's religious institutions that spend their entire efforts teaching on how undeserving you are. But because of what Jesus did, we're all deserving. Jesus traded for you. He wants to help you. Jesus wants to bless you. Jesus wants to empower you to live over sin. Not to live sinless. You're a Christian. It just means you sin less. Right? Right? It's not, it doesn't say you're, you're, it, you're not sinless, you're, you're sin-less. Paul writes, he, he writes in Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned through love, he's talking about Adam, death entered in, he allowed death to come in. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through, one, through Jesus Christ. So what he's talking about is, do you want to reign in life? Do you want to rule over sin? Do you want to rule over those things? Do you want to have authority in your life? Do you want to conquer your mind? Do you want to conquer this battlefield? Do you want to reign over your families? Do you want to be that spiritual leader that you're wanting to be? The way that happens is you receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. So righteousness is a gift. You have to take it or receive it. You say, okay, cool, I'll take some. Don't be so fast, because let me explain to you what's happening in the churches. Can you imagine if you took a child, you took your young son or your grandchild, your grandchild, whoever it is, and they they really want, it was their birthday, and they really wanted this gift. They've been asking for this for like a year and a half, and they've been bugging you for 365 days for this thing. And and all of a sudden, they needed it. They wanted it. It was something they really wanted. It's just going to be exciting. It's going to be this moment. It's this big gift. It's wrapped. And you bring it to the kid. Can you imagine just putting it before him and saying, here you go, son. Here you go. This is all for you. Can you imagine the child going, Eh, you know what? I really don't deserve this. You know, I didn't clean my room, and I'm not really deserving of this. I'm just glad to be living in this house. You know, I've made some mistakes, mom and dad. And, and, you know, I haven't been living right. And uh, You know, I've I've just failed miserably, and I, I don't deserve this gift. I've just messed up. Can you imagine a child doing that? Can you fathom that? and yet god gives us this gift of righteousness and all we have to do is receive it but we think we're so unworthy and we don't touch it this is the state of many people in the body of christ the gift is sitting right in front of them but they won't receive it they won't touch it because of shame and condemnation and everything that the devil and the lies and the deception of the enemy they don't want to touch it i'm not worthy Paul goes on to say, he talks about even so that one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in in justification of life. So you need to understand that grace is bigger than your sins. Grace is bigger than your shame. Grace is bigger than the lies of the enemy. Grace is bigger than your sin. So that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying this. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but I'm, I'm, I'm just about where I want to be. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And Paul is trying to get across to you and to me and to everybody that if you want to do battle in your minds, if you want to win the, the game between your ears, the spiritual warfare between your ears, you have to have a right mindset of who you are in Jesus Christ. You have to know who you are in Jesus Christ. When you understand that this righteousness, this right standing because of the blood of Jesus Christ that's been imputed to you, that's a free gift to you, and it's yours for the taken, when you understand that, you'll have the ability to look the devil in the eye and have the authority to speak with authority and tell him no more. And like, no matter how righteous you're made through through the blood of Jesus Christ, you you're still going to sin from time to time. You're still going to fall short of the glory of God. And, and, And the point is that God will convict you, but God will give you a way out. But we don't take the way out. God convicts us. We don't do anything out. We don't take the way out. And so what happens is, the devil comes on, heaps up on this shame and condemnation. We, uh, you know, we, we self-condemn ourselves. We just think our, we're not worthy, and we just start stiff-arming the church, and we start backing away from church. I, I don't even feel worthy to pray. I don't even feel worthy, Pastor, to pray over my family. I, I'm just a mess. You know, I have all this condemnation. I can't even pray for my kids. And so we live with this sin consciousness instead of a righteous consciousness. Let me, let me illustrate it with a story. When they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, um, they had this problem, a very big problem. And they had already suspended out over the water, and, and all these construction workers were working on this bridge, and, and they had this very problem. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've never been there. I just read stories. I read about it. I'm a bridge fanatic. I've read about all these things. But when they were uh, building the bridge, all these workers would climb out on the bridge, and the winds from the Gulf... The sea would come in, and it would sweep those con- construction workers off of the bridge, and they would fall to their death. And this is what happened while they were building, and they're suspended, and and it was a travesty. I mean, every week there was people dying because they were the winds had swept them off the bridge, and they would fall. And so, um, that's what was happening. And some genius finally come up with this idea of putting a net under the bridge. Pretty good idea, wouldn't you say? <laughs> And it's like, duh. I'm not sure why they didn't think of that at the beginning, but anyway. But they noticed something about the workers. There was a transformation in the workers. Because before the net was there, they were very unproductive. They were very nervous. They were afraid. They were cautious of every step. They were cautious of every move. They, they were just, they, they just nervous about everything, and they, and they just weren't very productive. But when the net came into play, when they put the net under there, all of a sudden, production picked up. All of a sudden, they didn't have this fear of working. All of a sudden, they worked with confidence. All of a sudden, they just they got to work, man. They did it, and they just did everything, and they walked out there, and they just had no concerns at all. They just did the work, and they were very successful, and they didn't have this fear of falling or this fear of failing. And, and I say that to tell you that righteousness is your net. Righteousness is your net. Righteousness is God taking your place on the cross so that if you do fail so that if you do fall that you fall on your face the righteousness of Jesus Christ the net is there to catch you and forgive you of your sins and prop you back up and put you back to work so you can work with confidence in the kingdom of God and you can take authority over the devil in your family you can take authority in your life you can pray your prayers will be heard your prayers will be effective you have this confidence that there's a net there And when you walk with that righteous consciousness, you're confident in who you are. And when you have this righteousness of God working inside of your heart, when you put the breastplate of righteousness on, you walk in this confidence that very few people have. And, And you only lack confidence because you lack righteous consciousness. Most people are walking around, even in the churches, they're walking around, they're more conscious of their sin than they are of their righteousness. And the Bible, I've read a lot of scripture to you, to, and it basically comes down through four words. Grace reigns through righteousness. The more righteousness you see yourself in God, the more righteousness as you see yourself as a child of God, the less you're going to block the grace of God in your life. You say, yeah, but how do I get there? How do I get there? It's very simple. It's very simple. But it's tough at the same time. One word repent. Repent. Repent of your sins. You want to live free from sin consciousness and always being aware of your sin and always thinking about your sin and, oh, I failed miserably and, oh, I failed God and, oh, I failed my family and, oh, I failed this. Your sin consciousness. If you want to develop a righteous consciousness, learn to repent. Learn to repent. Go look and study David's life. David was a man after God's heart because he knew how to repent. Repent. When Jesus came out of the wilderness, the first, thing, first words out of his mouth were repent. When John the Baptist came out of the word, wilderness, the first words out of his mouth were repent. Repent turns you away from your sin. And what you're doing is acknowledging your sin, you're confessing it, and you're letting God deal with it, and you're repenting, and you're trading that sin for the righteousness of God. 1 John chapter 1 says, this is the message that we've heard from him and declared so that, so that God is the light and in him there is no darkness, of, darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is talking about burying your sins and being sin conscious and having these things in our life, not living a pure life, not living with a righteous consciousness. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. The beauty of God is that when you confess your sins and you repent, He will forgive you. Now, that's one stage. This is, this is the final thought right here that I'm going to give you. Confession's one stage. Healing is another stage. Let's say that you have sin in your life that's binding you, that's hindering you, and it's keeping you. It's You, you just feel you don't... You, Stopping the flow of grace of God in your life, and you know it's sin. It could even be a stronghold in your mind. And the only way out of it is you know you've got to repent. I mean, I just told you, you need to repent. And so you don't have any problem. You go ask God to forgive you. You go and confess it. You say, God, I need, I forgive, forgive me of this sin. I repent of this sin. And you, you name it, and you go to God. That's one part of it. Then James takes it to another level in James 5:16 he said confess your trespasses or your sins to one another. How many of you know confessing to God and confessing to a person is two different things? And this is where it gets hard. Cuz I can confess to God all day long knowing that God will forgive me and knowing God that it's 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 tight between me and God. <laughs> Lips sealed. But if I want to get healed, the Bible says I've got to, if, I, if I'm sinning against somebody, if, I, if I've got sin towards somebody, I, I've got to go to that person. This is where it gets hard. So if I've sinned against a per- person, I've got to go to that person. If somebody's sinned against you, if you're not the sinner, but you're the, you're the one being sinned against, you've got to learn to take that with grace. You've got to learn to understand your demeanor because your demeanor says a lot. People will not approach you if your demeanor, if they, if they look at you and think you're fixing to kill them, they're going to go to you and confess a sin and they look at you and think they're about to get killed, they're not going to do it. So you've got to learn to accept forgiveness. If you guys want to come, Jim and Rhonda, I'm, it'll maybe speed things up. They'll look at your demeanor. And so you've got to learn to handle confession if you're being sinned against. You've got to learn how to handle it in a godly way. And it might hurt for somebody to come to you and say, hey, look, I did this to you. But you've got to learn to respond with grace. And if you've sinned against somebody, you've got to go to that person. This is is for healing. This is not for forgiveness. You've already done the forgiveness part. This is working through the sin. And I know there's a whole restoration of trust and building the bridges of trust I get all that that's another message but you've got to ask yourself you forgive to the degree that you've been forgiven this is a forgiven message I'm talking to you about tearing down strongholds once you understand that that if a person trespasses their confesses their trespasses to one another the Bible says watch this this is key some of you want to know why your prayers aren't being heard some of you want to know why you pray for things and you don't see things happening you don't see God moving I'm going to show you right here you've repented of your sins getting rid of that sin consciousness you understand righteousness you put on the breastplate of righteousness I've repented of these sins now you go to the person or the person goes to you whatever you've got to confess those sins to the person if you've harmed somebody you've done something go to them if there's secret sin in your life that you don't want to, you know, you, you need to come, to come to me, come to a pastor, come to your prayer partner, go do it. Find the courage to do it. Because when you do all this, the Bible says you're going to be healed. You're going to be, healing means delivering. Healed means that you're delivered from your sin. Now that stronghold is being torn down. It's being broken into places because you're bringing that thing from darkness into light. Then what happens, watch this. James takes it to another level then all of a sudden the Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much Paul's taking it to another level Paul says once you're forgiven and you've repented and once you're healed you've gone to that person you've done all those steps now you're a righteous person man you've got a clear conscience you've got a righteous conscience now you're not bound by that sin you're not bound by that thing you've got the breastplate of righteousness on. you're cleansed it doesn't mean that you didn't do something wrong it doesn't mean that you're perfect It now, now, they, now it just means that God sees you through the lens of forgiveness and healing he sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ he sees you with the breastplate of righteousness and now once you have that righteous consciousness once you're pure in your thinking and you're pure in your heart and you've done everything you know to get things right with God different things start happening in your prayer life because grace is flowing. Now you, you reign in your prayer life. You reign because grace is flowing. Things that weren't happening before. Because see, we're when we have when we're when we're when we have strongholds in our, strongholds in our mind and we're focused on our sin and we have sin consciousness, all we do is whine to God. We cry, oh God, dear God, please deliver me out of this. I'm sorry I did that. Oh God, oh God. And we just cry and cry, oh God, help me, help me, help me, help me. And that—that that is not the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. That is the prayer of a sin conscience person who doesn't expect their prayers to be answered. Because we have this mentality that if I cry long enough, maybe because it's worked with people, it's worked with our mom and dads, it's worked with our grandmas, if we cry long enough, we'll get what we want. And that's not how God works. God is not moved by tears. God is not moved by the level of your voice and your prayers. God is moved by the heart of righteousness. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avail as much. Look at James, and you can look at James. He talks about the life of Elijah. Elijah was a man in nature and he, he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and it didn't rain. And there was severe drought and, and then he prayed again and the heaven came, gave rain and the earth and it produced fruit. Now Elijah was just an ordinary man. Just like you and me. He wasn't su- some supernatural human being. He was just a natural person. But he lived righteously before God. When he messed up, He repented he prayed because he was a righteous man he lived righteous and, and, and Elijah had a, rela- a relationship beyond what most Christians have because he had a righteous conscience. He, he prayed the heavens opened up and rain came and it produced fruit the first time he prayed he prayed that it, that it would dry up and it didn't rain for three and a half years come on church can we pray like that can you pray like that? Do you believe that you can pray like that? Some of you are nodding your head because I know you pray like that. Jesus said, If you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and do not doubt in your heart. See, when you doubt in your heart, you're focused on your sin. It's sin consciousness, there's doubt. You're, you're more worried about your sin than your prayers. but you believe, if you believe those things and you say, when, you're, when you have a clear conscience and a righteous conscience, when you say to those mountains, be thou removed, they'll be removed, God says, I'll give you whatever you say. He's talking about the righteous person. He's talking about the person that, that can... That, move mountains. Can you actually move mountains? No, you can't actually move mountains. Your mountains are your circumstances. Your, mount, your mountains are praying for your kids. Your mountains are those temptations that come. Your mountains are those lies of the enemy. Your mountains are those circumstances, the deception of the enemy. Those are your mountains. You can take authority over those circumstances and you can instead of bowing to those circumstances Paul says whenever you've done everything you can do, stand. Put on the breastplate of righteousness Know who you are in God. Recognize who you are in God. Recognize yourself as a son and a daughter of the King of the Most High. And speak to that devil. And speak with authority. I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. See, when you're walking in the righteousness of God, you have this righteous conscience. Then, when the devil tries to come and throw things at you, he tries to bring lies to you. The Bible says, No weapons. Remember, our weapons are not carnal, our weapons are not physical. No weapons formed against you will prosper. For you are mighty. How do you become mighty? It's a righteous conscience. It's knowing who you are. You are mighty. And through God, you can pull down. Watch this. Here it is, you can pull down every stronghold Every lie, every stronghold that's in your mind, you have the ability to do that. You can cast down all those wicked imaginations that come into your mind, those fantasies, those temptations, everything that comes in your mind. You have the ability to tear that thing down. You can bring into captivity every thought, every negative thought, every lie of the enemy, every affliction that comes and says, you're sick, you're going to die. Everything that says, your kids are going to do this, your kids are going to turn out. Those are wicked thoughts. Those are imaginations. Imaginations. Those are thoughts that are coming that the devil's bringing, and the Bible says you have no weapons formed against you. You have the ability to tear down those strong those strongholds. You have the ability to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ, because you are a son of son or a daughter of the King of the Most High God. You have that authority. That's who you are. Before we go home, I'm going to help you put on the breastplate of righteousness. Can we do that real quick? That's what we're going to do. Because there's some of you, I know this is heavy stuff, but I'm just going to help you tear down some strongholds right now, and we're going to put on that breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to go home.